Amen. Amen. We've been going through uh, the book of John um, since uh, September 17th, uh, Sunday when we launched of last year. And we chose the book of John. We, we felt led of God to go through the book of John just line by line, verse by verse, precept upon precept, ordinance upon ordinance, to kind of chop up for God's people, if possible, by the power of the Spirit, um, what um, does Jesus say about himself? That's why we dubbed it Jesus Christ Unplugged. We wanted to unplug Jesus from the philosophies of our culture. We wanted to plug, uh, uh, unplug Jesus Christ from the philosophies of men, from the philosophies of the Quran, um, from the philosophies of the Internet, from the philosophies of the Da Vinci Code, from the philosophies of even Christians. We wanted to unplug ourselves from people's assessment of him and let him speak for himself. And one of the most unduly ways to make sure that Christ speaks for himself is to get into the holy writ that was, that was breathed out and God moved upon a crew of cats who were able to write as the Spirit led them as inexplicably irrelevant, uh, 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 clear, and credible witnesses of the fact that he was here and that he's coming again. And so we've been going line by line through this, and we saw in our prologue, we went through the preexistence of Christ. Then in chapters 2 through, four, uh, through, through 12, we went through uh, the, 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 the book, what's called more, many times the book of miracles or the, the book of signs. And we went through that and talked about what those point to in relation to Christ's Godship and his manhood. And then we went from there and we went into the upper room discourse, chapters 14 through 17. Then after, after that, we went into what's called the passion narrative. And so today we, we're diving into uh, the latter part of the passion narrative as we have uh, seen God just bring this to a close. He's bringing in the last two chapters. We're in chapter 20 right now. And of course, last week we talked about the crucifixion. And this week we're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection. And today I'm not just going to talk about scientific discoveries, archaeological findings. We'll talk a little bit about the contextual, biblical, internal, and external evidence of Christ's resurrection. But more than that, I want us to, I want us to begin to live based on the nutrients of the resurrection. Are y'all with me? Yeah. I, I want us to, I want, I believe not just I want, but God wants us to live in light of the resurrection. And because of that, I want to talk about today the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, how he changed the game. The resurrection of Jesus, how he changed the game. You know, there's a show that comes on, I believe it's MTV, it's called 401. Anybody ever seen that, that show? Never mind. But anyway, on this show, what they do is it's kind of, it's a real, real funny show. It's a show that guys kind of try to get together and they try to create um, situations where people believe that something uh, bad happened to them. And so on uh, one time uh, on the show, they, they wanted to prove, I guess, that ghosts exist. And so these, these girls from around the way, you know, came into the room, and they went into the room and was cleaning out this room. And she said, okay, I got me some pearls. And she got all up in the pearls and put the pearls around her neck. And the dude was like, you can take anything from me. And he's kind of talking to her. And so they... So they went, uh-oh, and so they went, and, and she put the pearls around her neck's neck and looked into the mirror, and when she looked in the mirror, uh, a figure appeared, and the girl got spooked out, and she, and she ran out of um, the, the, the hotel room. And one of the things that the show is supposed to, I guess, show is that you can utilize magicians' tricks to fool people into having beliefs 
that they didn't normally, they wouldn't normally believe in. You can turn skeptics into believers if you just utilize scientific methods and, and, and different types of magician tricks um, to prove that something exists beyond their natural senses by keening into their senses. And today, you know, many people have tried to utilize that whole philosophy in relation to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, trying to disqualify the resurrection um, as an actual event of something that actual ha- actually happened and something that actually affects our lives. And so we go into this passage, chapter 20, and we're going to stop around, uh, f- from verses 1, we're going to stop around verse 18. I'd like before we dive into the scriptures to give a working definition of the resurrection. A working definition of the resurrection, kind of out of all my studies and what I was kind of corroborating together and collaborating together and pulling together, I I, kind of came up with a definition that maybe be simple for us. The resurrection of Jesus is the confirmation of God's work in history to restore creation to his renewed order under under the realization of his rule. Let me say it again. The resurrection of Jesus is the confirmation of God's work in history to restore creation to his renewed order under the realization of his rule. And I'm going to unpack every one of those because I believe this text brings that reality out. Because of the fall, Adam jacked things up. And when Adam jacked things up, God had created a perfectly perfect world. And because of uh, Adam's sin entered into the world, the destruction of not only Adam, God told him, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the force of the English doesn't do the Hebrew any justice. It literally says, dying you shall die. While you're living, even though it seems like you're living, you will be dying, but then ultimately you'll die. And so what happened was is God somehow made Adam the federal head of all creation and humanity that things were hinging on his obedience to God and whether or not he was obedient to God uh, uh, applied to whether or not creation remained in order. Why God sovereignly made that uh, 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 that decree in Adam, I don't know, but he connected, he connected the order of the, uh, of the universe into whether or not man sinned or not. And because of that reality, Adam sinned and then it opened up the door beyond comprehension, a chaos in creation, a chaos in manhood, a chaos in philosophy of life, uh, even, our, even our good things that we try to do good deeds became chaotic. You had the Tower of Babel, people trying to get unity, um, and, and, and God had an issue with the unity because the unity wasn't underlined by his principle. They were trying to get unity, which was a good principle, but they tried to get unity without him, a bad principle. So even our attempts at good because of Adam's sin cause everything to be jacked up. And so now we look through the corridors of time throughout God's redemptive history and God has been consistently, especially through the Holy Writ, giving snapshots of the fact that things won't always be jacked up. 
Things will always be tore up. There's, there's, there's coming a time, and the time has come, and progressively working its way into it, where God is going to restructure everything in existence. And so the resurrection today, we're going to dive into why the resurrection is so important. Many people try to separate the cross and the resurrection. You cannot separate the cross and the resurrection, nor can you uh, separate it from his ascension. You have to highly tie those things together because all, the, all of them, starting with the cross, plays a unique role in God's reordering of everything after the restructuring, rebooting, and renovation of the entire universe so that his reign can be unpeeled and realized. Are you with me? And so in in chapter 20, after Christ has been buried, we go in and we see that he's been raised from the grave. And we see some responses to it. That brings me to my first point. The resurrection of Jesus must be understood by his people. It says, now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, or Mary of Magdala, came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, both of them running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Sometime before dawn or at dawn or before dawn, God put Jesus Christ's life back into his body. And some way, shape, or form, Jesus Christ, having the breath of life blown back into his torn and ripped body. (laughs) And Jesus Christ, in some way, shape, or form, by the power of God, became physically renewed all over again. And you'll see later that it never talks about the fact that Jesus Christ, you saw in his body, the rips from the bo- his body being ripped apart by the canonine whips. It only t- says that the only thing you see are the nail prints 